Welcome to How They Get You, the podcast where we look beyond the gender binary and think everything should be person-sized. I'm here with my friend Faye. Faye, why don't you tell the lovely listeners at home a tiny bit about yourself? Hi, welcome back listeners. I'm Faye Crookshank and I've worked in marketing and advertising for a little while, but sadly never in chocolate. So this has been a wild ride for me on the back of that Yorkie truck. And I'm Laura. I once attended the recording of a Dragon's Den You're Fired episode. <laughs> so we all bring insights to this podcast, right, Faye? Absolutely. This is episode two of our Yorkie Spectacular extravaganza i'm so excited to be back here with you i'm so excited we uh had a blast in the first episode where we learned so much more than we ever thought we ever needed to know about the history of chocolate advertising so we covered um yorkie's origin story if yorkie were a superhero uh, all about trucks and <laughs> chunkiness and chunkiness <laughs> And sexual tension with the chocolate bar and why you probably shouldn't keep it in your pocket. Um, we segued into the the campaign that we're now very familiar with, which is the Not For Girls campaign in the noughties and how that was born out of, I guess, male insecurity at the slightly more present female in society of the 90s and the noughties. Um, and not only did we look at the start of the Not For Girls campaign, we also looked at the sort of rabbit hole that Nestle and Yorkie went down in terms of trying to eke out more buzz behind that campaign through all the horrible PR stunts that they did. (laughs) So now that you're well versed with what the Not For Girls campaign is, hopefully we've taken you right back for 2002, uh, we're going to recap and talk a bit about the big question, which is, Laura? Did it work? (laughs) Did it work? Did it drive them sad? Damn it. That's what we need to know. Yes. So the suggestion is that in the immediate term, yeah, it did. Um, I've got a whole bunch of facts and figures for you here. So you can turn off now. So you can turn (laughs) off now. In October 2002, there are reports saying that Yorkie Bar has grown like 30% on its previous year. Um, Data Monitor said that sales rose 30.8% 30.8% 2003, la 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 la, um, lots of figures, etc. etc. Marketing and communications and integrated approach said Yorkie's share of the Eat Now market increased over 40% over the advertised period and um, following the launch. So we have all these different figures. It's really hard yeah. to get exact figures about sales because we don't live in, you know, a 1984 society where every single exchange is like monitored by the government. I can't ask the government this stuff. I think it's kind of Nestle's business and Nestle's going to tell me what it wants to tell me. But I think what we can comfortably say is, yeah, they increased. And interesting, uh, Marketing Week had previously run an article about like the battle of sexes with chocolate pitching Mars against Yorkie, because as you may recall from our previous episode, Mars was taking an approach in 2002, trying to expand its consumer base to have more women. And Yorkie was having this really specific blokey bloke campaign. And then marketing week in April, 2003 declares that Yorkie won the battle, that Yorkie's sales increased uh, 28.7%, while sales of Mars fell 5.4% over the same period. Mm. 
Yeah, um, by all reports from, from Nestle spokespeople to try and justify the campaign and from some of the industry press at the time, it looks like Nestle and Yorkie did see a short-term sales spike on the figures in terms of 20-30%. That seems like a massive growth. But one thing we do have to take with a pinch of salt is Yorkie was a much smaller chocolate bar in terms of market size, not in terms of actual size, as we know. But in terms of market share, much smaller. So obviously, when you have a smaller market share, um, delivering these big growth numbers uh, is much easier than if you're, say, Cabri or Mars, where you have like a really big market share and a good market share growth might be more like 1%. But by and large, yes, it does look like this worked. And interestingly, it looked like it also worked. I think one of those articles we read on a much lower marketing spend than the Mars campaign. Mm -hmm. So back to our point in the previous episode in terms of does controversial marketing work? Again, in this instance, it looks like over that short term period that with a half the marketing budget of Mars, Yorkie were able to have a lot more impact. But here's the interesting thing. The campaign stops. It doesn't continue. They drop the slogan around 2011. And in 2012, we get a new tagline. And that is man fuel for man stuff. So we're going from, you know, the purposely exclusionary copy to something which is celebratory of masculinity, but not denigrating women. And I think that is like a crucial shift. Hmm. So without further ado, let's have a little look at uh, the the advert. Yes, please. Yeah. Well, I would say the main man. Okay. So I'm going to open it up now. Man is getting out of the car, going about daily tasks. Man is carrying the shopping. Oh, there's fire. Like the man, you know, (laughs) cool guys look away from explosions sort of thing. Um, there was also eagles. eagles. Oh yeah, it's transported back to some sort of unspecified olden days period where men were men. Okay, he comes through the door in the house with the bags of shopping that he's carried. He's like, puts the shopping down. His presumably wife is there, and she's like, cool, thanks. And then he takes a big old bite of the Yorkie, and he's like, nom nom nom. And then it says, man fuel for man stuff. Man fuel for man stuff. Faye, what are your issues? For me, I think a lot of the issues stem firstly from the tagline. It does feel a little bit like, whilst not for girls, for all the reasons we, we don't like it, and for all the reasons that not for girls is inherently quite offensive, it was, if I'm allowed to call it, strategic it had a, it had a it had a point it had like everything sort of laddered up together like it may it makes sense as an idea whereas man fuel for man stuff just feels like some guys writing on a whiteboard like oh we need to associate with men like man fuel for i, I, I don't know lads man, man stuff like and it's it's just so dry hard that it just says i think it tries to say everything and therefore says nothing So I think this is a very meaningless tagline, which is just trying to be like, hey, we're still relevant and we're still for men, but now we've changed our ways and we're not sexist anymore. Sorry, please, Biles. Like, it's really sloppy. It's interesting because you can see quite a lot of the stuff they're trying to do. So the idea of um, Yorkie being fuel, you know, we have that route with the trucker. He's, you know, 
chomping on it, you know, quite masculinely. And like, as we said before, the sort of gendered approaches to chocolate where chocolate is fuel, That's it's not indulgence, it's, you know, something you need to get mm. about your day. I think what's quite interesting is the fact that what he's doing in this particular advert is carrying some shopping, which is not a stereotypically masculine thing to do. It's not, um, I don't know, arm wrestling a bear. (laughs) It's true to uh, (laughs) reference one of their previous advert executions. Yeah, it's doing something that actually often women do. So it does feel like in this particular instance, a really conscious effort. That's interesting. To sort of acknowledge that. The way I sort of read it was it's trying to elevate the everyday and go from something like truckers are like, that's a very masculine job to sort of bring it into the very very specific. specific. So kind of bringing it into more, I don't know, modern. So, you know, men can work in service industry. They can work in, you know, whatever number of industries and still be masculine. So it's trying to, I think use a very everyday activity and elevate that into something that often women will ask men to carry the shopping for them. And it's like, yes, look how manly I am for doing this everyday task. So I kind of feel like they're trying to make this masculine narrative relatable to the everyman, which I get, I get, I get that as a strategy. Mm. It's also like a return to chivalry in a really weird way. If I'm really exaggerating because yeah, it's um, him doing the shopping and his wife or girlfriend is having a read of the magazine. Um, and as you'll be very aware, Faye, most of this sort of like household shopping yeah. is done by women. Um, I suppose like single men do their own shopping, but like no, you're right. yeah. norm is that women will go out and do the shop. So he's clearly gone off in his big car, done the shop, come back, doing the back. I don't know. I wonder if they're trying to kind of yeah, throw, throw a bone, bone in a mm. weird way. I might be overthinking it though. I wouldn't be surprised. No, if I think I was. you're. I think you might be really right there. And then the final thing, which didn't make sense to me from a narrative point of view, is that fuel is something that you eat or consume before <laughs> you've done a task. Whereas he, he, he doesn't does have to. Like he carries all the fucking shopping, and he's a Viking, and he's got a woman, and he's an eagle, and then he eats the chocolate after, and it's like, so you had fuel from I don't know something else. Uh, like a Mars bar maybe <laughs> and then afterwards you're like oh, I'll just have a little post-workout snack with my Yorkie oh, the whole narrative yeah, just doesn't really... make sense to me um, which is a very pedantic point I think yeah. but yeah I think it's quite for, for me personally I thought it was very forgettable, forgettable as is I, I think man fuel for man stuff I think what they're trying to do like I said is just keep men keep it all but sort of be a bit more positive and as a result, they they lose all that, I think, grit and, like, point of their previous campaign. And it just becomes quite nothingy. However, so we're here, merrily slagging <laughs> off this advert. But in 2014, York Press has an article that states that Yorkie saw a 31.6% growth in 2013 compared to 2012. And this is accredited to what Nestle describes as a renaissance of the brand oh yeah the renaissance man <laughs> carrying his wife shopping <laughs> or doing the wife shopping well done him not Sorry. the wife shopping the uh, household yes, shopping <laughs> um and this is kind of chalked up to the return of television advertising and the launch of yorkie man-sized sure. buttons question 
What is a man-sized button? Buttons are just a pretty uniform shape. They go with a buttonhole. (laughs) It's not like men have larger buttonholes Mm -hmm. than women. Necessarily. Anyway, that's beside the point. But um, what this kind of made me think was, if you could achieve growth with any old TV ad and just creating a chocolate button, (laughs) which was the done thing at the time, I guess, was there any point to the it's not for girls ads or could we have just done anything Faye tell me what is going on yeah uh so this is a really interesting point just about the role of advertising and different brands or different companies strategies in um consistent consistency in advertising in particular so uh we interviewed someone who had worked at mars a key competitor of nestle a number of years ago um, to try and understand a little bit more about Nestle's broader marketing strategy. And what we found is that something which seemed to explain a hole in the adverts that Yorkie were putting out is that Yorkie as a brand tended to do these big spikes of advertising one or two years and then completely go what we would call going dark. So completely go off air for a number of years. So do this very boom and bust media strategy versus what some companies will do and some companies will advocate for, which is to keep kind of a quite consistent strategy, mass reach, always on, on the basis that, especially for something like chocolate or or mass mass use products, you consume them 365 days a year. All you're trying to do in a cluttered category like chocolate or anything else, laundry detergent, etc., is um, shout the loudest and be top of mind so that If you're shouting the loudest, if you're the chocolate bar that someone simply thinks of first, then you've got a much higher chance of being bought. And it's, to be honest, sometimes it's not much deeper than that, especially in a category where benefit and having to convince someone of the superiority of your brand versus another is less relevant because superiority is kind of subjective in this category anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's a really good point. Like, did this campaign, Man Fuel for Man Stuff, and therefore did also not for girls, did any of these campaigns only really succeed because of virtue of they weren't on air for ages before, they went on air with a load of media spend, big top of mind awareness spike, and all of a sudden people just are reminded of Yorkie and they go out and buy it. And I think to to an extent, I do think that is kind of true. So yeah, in some respects, whilst we can sit here and go, ah, man, fuel for man stuff, bit of a crap advert, For all we've been able to find, Yorkie weren't on air with anything between the mid-noughties and around 2012. So you could probably put anything on air on TV and see some uplift in your brand. Um, Wonderful. (laughs) But let's go back to it's not for girls. Please. My question is, would this campaign work today? Today is 2021. And first off, would this work today in terms of would it even be able to, you know, get past ASA now? Because ASA ain't what it used to be. The adverts weren't banned at the time, but there's an advert that was banned. I'm sure you would love to talk about, Faye. Perfect. Yes. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about the Advertising Standards Agency in this episode. And yeah, like Laura said, could an ad even conceive of being made? Uh, in 2021 that looked like this. So it's interesting seeing back in the days of Yorkie, 
uh, it's not for girls, we were saying, okay, was this something that was ever banned by the Advertising Standards Agency? And the answer is no. Lots of people complained, but none of those complaints were upheld. So complaints about the advert being sexist were not upheld by the Advertising Standards Agency. And this wasn't just a, like, we were less snowflakey at the time, as uh, the right-wing press would say, but um, I think it was just a difference in the code of what was allowed in advertising. So if we look at another advert that was on in 2002, one of my favourite examples of, oh my God, how was this on air? Uh, There was an advert for Carling, which um, featured a man who was being told, nagged by his nagging girlfriend to leave the house. It was really hot, but she was still a nag. <laughs> Let it be known that she is smoking hot. Yeah. Um, and to convince her man to clean the house, she poured carling around. And the advert features extremely graphic depictions of your man licking basically the floor clean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and not only is that disgusting in itself, but it's also like, who, would you do that for a carling? Who is this guy? Um, <laughs> and then there's and then there's this and the advert is all obviously sort of framed in in sex because at the end of the advert the woman is like oh I've seen this man licking and it's like very suggestive. Um, that tongue has been in like wasn't it like around taps and stuff? Yeah, like, yeah, really yeah. And uh, we will link this advert in in on one of our socials. But um, I can't watch it and again. Then at the end, she's she's there in a sexy underwear because she's very sexy, sexy lady, uh, and she goes to pour the can of carling over herself, and there's none left. And there is the end. The advert ends with the man's tongue that is very clearly standing to attention, sort of flopping. Yeah. In a euphemistic way. So this awful carling advert was banned by the ASA. And the grounds on which the complaints were upheld was that this was sexual, too overtly <laughs> sexual, and it was at least banned before the watershed. So what we've learned about 2002 in terms of what was deemed acceptable in advertising is that sexism was fine, but sex in itself was not fine. Going back to the rock chunk advert, which we discussed in the previous episode, I'm looking at the description on YouTube. This is from the Hall of Advertising. A Yorkie advert that was banned due to 120 Ah. complaints about how suggestive the woman's cleavage was. Exactly. Mind you, (laughs) it isn't nearly as offensive as Yorkie's Not For Girls campaign, ellipsis. So uh totally. So yeah, a woman's breasts, and I mean they were pretty pretty exposed, but not fully. Yeah, enough for an advert to be banned. Um, but not the sexism of the not for girls. The suggestion of an erect penis through a tongue. Yeah, like it's just like okay. I mean I really don't like that carling advert. You said it was banned before the watershed, I guess after the watershed you could Yeah, it like a nine pm. It was all about the erect penis piece. Oh, so if you're like a sexual advert, can you be played after 9pm basically or whatever the watershed is? Yes, yes. so the idea with the watershed is sex in itself isn't offensive, but it is offensive to perhaps younger viewers. (laughs) So you're allowed to advertise, for example, Jurex after 9pm, but you're not allowed to advertise Jurex before 9pm, just whatever the advert, because it is a a sexual product. But so if you have a saucy advert, which isn't a sexual product, you might be bumped to post-watershed. So yes. 
because you might assume that sex isn't offensive to all adults, but it is inherently offensive to children. Or you wouldn't want to, to watch it with your yeah, children. Yeah, those then. 16-year-old boys must have been calling oh. up ASA about that <laughs> college advert. This is my only access. <laughs> Please bring it back. Um, <laughs> okay, so... So your question then, would it happen today? Yeah, because the rules have changed, haven't they? Yeah, so let's talk a bit about... So Needle Scratch, we <laughs> jump forward um, 20... Fuck, nearly 20 years to to today and yes in terms of would this advert literally be allowed on air today is a great question so uh what i just i'll talk about is a little bit about the new asa and gender stereotyping guidelines so the guidelines changed what when do you think they uh these new guidelines which sort of prohibited sexist advertising came in laura oh it was quite recently yeah. So I want to say either 2018 or 2019. Yeah, exactly. So super recent. So the gender stereotyping ASA guidelines came in in 2019. Okay. Uh, and the guidelines said that adverts must not include gender stereotypes that are likely to cause harm or serious widespread offence. So the introduction to these guidelines came at the same time that two ads were banned. So almost like the grand launch of these guidelines concurred with two adverts being banned. One was for Philadelphia cream cheese. Yum, yum. Really? And the other, yes. And the other one (laughs) was for, yeah, not a very controversial brand, right? And the other one was for Volkswagen. So let me tell you why. Um, The cream cheese one depicted men uh, looking after the kids and doing so in a slightly negligent way. So like bungling the childcare and, you know, leaving their kids, I think on like a conveyor belt or something. Blokes. And then at the end, yeah, silly men. And then at the end, they're like, oh, don't tell mum. And then the <laughs> other one, <laughs> the other one was uh, probably more nuanced in terms of Volkswagen was showing a few different sort of, it was talking about extremes. So it was showing like, men rock climbing and camping and then it so it sort of contrasted all this adventurous activity from men with um a woman with a newborn so it was it was still you know sort of talking about amazing things but again it was sort of seen as propping up the gender roles that men are adventurous and women have babies and look after babies so this yeah this regulation came in and there was a huge outcry from um obviously the companies whose adverts were banned, but also the industry. So this led to a little bit of a, a crisis in in advertising, which is still ongoing today. So it's really in flux. So for example, the ASA said that they'd banned the adverts based on the depiction of men and women engaged in gender stereotypical activities to help stop limiting how people see themselves, which is, I think is kind of fair. But the counter argument was a few a few different things so philadelphia one Mm. of the companies that were banned argued that they were in a rock and a hard place uh between a rock and a hard place because if they'd shown women in the advert looking after the kids they Mm. could have been said to be oh you're saying women only look after yeah whereas what they did show was um again propping up the stereotype that men can't look after kids People took to Twitter to brand the initial complainants of these two adverts, because things are only banned once they get complained about, uh, to brand them as snowflakes, saying, oh, people need to get over themselves. Marketing Week ran an article saying, has the ASA gone too far? Uh, And it's concerning to see the ASA take on the role of the morality police. 
One advertising body claimed the new rules were likely to cause confusion in the industry about how ads were able to feature people going about their daily lives. So there's this big sort of existential crisis and and uproar amongst the advertising industry at the moment in terms of what this means for what adverts should show and really raise the question of should advertising reflect culture as it is or should advertising lead the change in culture in order to be effective? What if the advert was about like, okay, say for example, you were doing a nappy advert and it featured lots of mums. Presumably that wouldn't be seen as stereotypical because it's an advert about babies. Is it something to do with like, does the product have, well, I mean, I suppose though you could say there should be an equal number of like mums and dads or whatever. I don't know. How does yeah. it play out for Honest, those kinds of products? So I think, I think it's a perfect question. And again, this is all very much in flux. And I think your question there, I think it relates to the question of, yes, should it reflect normality or or should it offer to change it? And I think today's society, more and more men are doing more and more childcare, and that is true, but women still do do a majority. So yes, like it wouldn't necessarily be wrong for a nappy brand to, to just reflect mums. But where the ASA have netted out across the tw- across 2020, they reviewed the first year of the rules and the thing that they seem to now agree on after the initial backlash where where people said, I think the ASA has gone a bit far here, was that if they perpetuate harmful stereotypes at very least, then they're a goner. So where I really net out from this is that Yorkie at the time, those stereotypes, especially when we consider some of those later activations about women driving and soccer and the sort of women get your lips around this thing they are offensive and I do think Yorkie under those terms would have been banned now one of the I think final interesting things about this whole ASA gender stereotyping piece is one of the arguments that the companies who were banned made about the effectiveness of the adverts so Philadelphia and what a lot of companies did and what Philadelphia did is they test adverts with consumers so they look at they hook them up to all these like neuro receptors and see is this ad good like objectively does it hit does it make people's brain spark Mm. uh remember things attract attention and the advert featuring the blokes bungling the childcare was one of their highest scoring ads for a long time and Mm. indeed people on twitter reacting to the advert being banned were saying "Uh, actually it was kind of funny there's a really interesting piece here as well in terms of just because it's a distasteful advert or sexist doesn't necessarily always make it a bad one which um is probably it it brings us back to the discussion we were having about Yorkie in the previous episode in terms of yes we can look at that advert now and be like but it was effective, as we've seen in the results. Yeah, this probably isn't the narrative we necessarily wanted when we began researching this. Totally. I think what we wanted was for people to be turned off by Yorkie. Yeah, we wanted to look at the results and go, no, it bombed, <laughs> tanked, and here's Silly. why. But Silly it turns up. out, like, us in Adland, or not even in Adland, a lot of, you know, lefty sensitive individuals as the right wing would call us we might be offended by a lot of things that a lot of the general public according to these studies find fine and and work quote unquote so 
I, I know I've gone a bit off tangent there in terms of would it be allowed today, but there's two things coming out here. And one is the advert would probably have not been allowed to air today. But two, I think all of this ASA stuff props up why it was considered effective, even if it was offensive. And I just kind of wanted to introduce a little note on jokes, because I think people who really love this campaign are going to turn around and be like, God, you two are miserable. There's always going to be this argument that people who dislike this campaign cannot take a joke. Yorkie was taking the piss out of men too, with their stereotypically macho ways. And to that argument, I say, you are acting in bad faith and you know it. Like a frequent attack on the left is that everyone of the left are a bunch of mamby pambies and we have no sense of humor. But this is an advertising campaign explicitly born on the premise that men can't handle women drinking Guinness. Like when it comes to snowflakery, who is the true mm. snowflake? Speaking of flakes, flake has never banned men. So there you go. That's my <laughs> two cents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think that links really well back to the ASA piece in terms of it would be bad faith now. It wouldn't be just a joke. And it is to some extent sinister, especially some of their executions that they, they did. Yeah, make. I think that's it, is that if you call anything a joke, it doesn't automatically mean that it removes any potential for offence or just being... Exactly. And um, I think that's a, a really interesting point you you raised there because one of the arguments that Philadelphia had to the ASA uh, banning was that it was funny and people found it funny. And the ASA threw that back that humour is not a defence against something being offensive. Ooh, burn from the ASA. Yeah, shut up, Philadelphia. I also want to sort of say, beyond the kind of would it be allowed to air, would it not be allowed to air? Because I can also see a, an alternative reality where the advert's banned, but then shared over Twitter or shared over Facebook, a la the Iceland advert you mm. referenced in the previous episode, is would it work in terms of, would it hit the same way? Or would it, have we moved on from 2002? And there's some interesting stuff about gendered advertising between the you know initial Yorkie campaign launch and today, in 2009, uh, we see McCoy's man crisps. <laughs> so again, we're taking something which was really just men a have big mouths and hard teeth and ridges <laughs> for, for his pleasure. Ridges? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. And then across the pond in 2011, we have this advert from Dr Pepper Ten, which is a low calorie. Dr. Pepper drink, trying to target men, I suppose in the same way Coke Zero and Pepsi Max tries yeah. to target men, you know, don't mention the word <laughs> diet, otherwise guys don't try it. That rhymes. Um, <laughs> so they go for the six super, you know, manly positioning. Yeah. So the tagline for these adverts is the manliest low calorie soda in the history of mankind. Right. Which immediately... I just really love that tagline. Yeah, again, it's so over the top, but you don't, you don't, you're not punching down. You don't have to put down women to be super manly. He's not punching down no. at all. So, like, these are very satirical. Yeah. There's him with a bear. He's giving the bear a little pat on the head. He's drinking. He's now in a canoe. God, so many bears using advertising. <laughs> He's there's like a eagle taking the can out of the water and dropping it in his. 
Wow, this girl, <laughs> I found out a lot about men's psyches here. Eagles, bears. <laughs> but what they're doing here is, yes, they're using the like, I think it's an eagle. They're using the bear. They're using the canoe. They're using the great outdoors. And it is like dialed up to 11. Mm. They are taking the piss. They are purposely using the most macho things they can. And it's funny. It's like yeah, definitely. self-aware. And Dr. Pepper know how to use comedy. Like sometimes they can just really hit the comedy. Mm. So a man watching this can be like, ha ha ha. But he's laughing a little bit at the very notion of masculinity. Yeah, they're laughing at themselves. They're poking at this whole insecurity thing about men wanting to be seen as really masculine. Yeah, just drink the Diet Coke. It's grand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Or just drink this Dr. Pepper. So yeah, I like these because I think the whole tone of the humour and what they're making fun at is 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 people are in on the joke and it's men are in on the joke versus women who are the butt of the joke so we have you know we have mad chris we have the not for women's soda i mean obviously people do still have thoughts and feelings about this not everyone is super happy with it but they choose to run these campaigns it's not like after yorkie everyone said we're gonna close up shop on you know manly man man uh what's quite Interesting, though, is a 2014 campaign for a hair removal cream cream called Veet. Yeah. And Faye, I think you want to tell us a little about that. Yeah. So this is one where, you know, we were talking about controversial marketing on the previous episode. And we were talking about how sometimes the digital landscape and social media can be your friend as a challenger brand where you're trying to punch above your weight you might not have to spend a load of money on tv but you can cause a bit of a a twitter storm and get people to share your advert organically all for very little spend of course that can also backfire so in 2014 veet some of you might remember they did an advert called don't risk dudeness which was essentially an advert trying to market female shame for body hair because they were there was literally an idea where uh, if you hadn't shaved your legs for 24 hours, you instantly become a man. Big hairy big ha- man. And, yeah, big hairy man, putting your wrapping your leg around the, the man you're in bed with and he's, he's disgusted. disgusted. And there were like a couple other ones. Yeah, was- so there's one hailing a there was one hailing a taxi where she's got um she hasn't shaved her underarms. And again, no one will stop for her, I think. So this advert, yeah, awful. This advert, you might not be trying to be controversial. You might just be trying to do what you think is a good and funny advert, but end up it completely misfiring. And this is what happened with Veet and social media. These Veet ads were created in in the US market. And because of social media, they found their way across to the UK. And there was a social shitstorm so they didn't even have to spend a single pound on uh, uk tv media and they still got cancelled so i say that yes whilst yorkie and the likes of some of the brands we talked about paddy power um protein world sometimes controversy can be a bit marmite but it can also work for a lot of people too whereas this one i don't think this really worked for anyone this was the example of a complete bomb I think the thing about it is it's targeting women. women. By shaming. And they're targeting women by shaming them in a very obvious way. And also, I think it was seen as quite transphobic. Mm. I think, largely, if you're trying to sell your product to women, 
by being like, you're, <laughs> you're disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> and it's a negative gender stereotype that just didn't work because, yeah, you're making fun of me. Exactly. Like, you, <laughs> so you want consumer. me to buy this? Yeah. It's not like such a bad advert and they really thought they were doing something they thought they were making something so funny and they didn't realize that social media is not forgiving and also a lot of people on social media sharing it will be sharing it who are like quite you know politically informed Mm -hmm. or whatever so that's how they're sharing it is like it was a bad thing yeah it was silly so where we're getting to then in terms of the question of would this be possible today I I think I think broadly we're looking at no I think we're looking at one from a regulatory point of view this would not get past the ASA the Advertising Standards Agency in the UK and two social media as um, I believe Steve mentioned in his original voice note in our first episode uh, said that yeah maybe if Yorkie had been around in the social media generation maybe enough people would have been given space to talk publicly together and say hey I don't feel good about this so I think social media combined with the advertising standards agency means there's a lot less that brands can get away away with and yeah there are a lot of conversations we talk about in terms of are the ASA going too far and where where does it end in terms of are you what are you allowed to reflect that's actually real in an advert but I think ultimately the good conclusion that comes out of it is you're just making advertisers think before you put something on air in a world where before they might not have thought as hard, which can only be a good thing. Yeah. I think we have moved on. It's a different time. Like the conversations we had in 2002 aren't the conversations we have in 2021. The times do change. The other thing we want to talk about is did these adverts have some kind of long-standing impact on the Yorkie brand and how it's seen today? Um, Manfield for Man stuff even was a while ago. I don't think there's any strapline on Yorkie. Now, you've got a Yorkie bar in front of you, Faye. I do. So yeah, this is a bit of an epilogue on Yorkie and what became of it then, isn't it? We were talking about this before we did the podcast and we were asking, do Yorkie even exist? Like, did they stop being sold? Because I think neither of us had really heard or seen anything from Yorkie in a long time. Uh, And yeah, I went to the shops today and I bought myself a little Yorkie to try and understand, because I think the evolution of their campaigns, man fuel for man stuff was a dilution And now, like, what the hell do Yorkie even stand for? The only benefit communication I could find at all on the chocolate bar itself was chunky milk chocolate. Like, there were no descriptors. There's no, um, you know, that logo with the the lady and the the band sign. That's obviously not on it anymore. So if I was an alien looking at a Yorkie bar, I'd be like, what is it? Why, Why should I buy it? It's completely doesn't stand for anything, I would argue. And yeah, it's kind of... Interesting, because if you spend a lot of time searching Yorkie, as I have done, like I would notice things like I'd be, you know, searching it. And then one of the people also asked questions that popped up is, is the Yorkie bar sexist? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's uh, probably something that is, you know, commonly held. Obviously, within my circle, when I talk to people about it, I suppose I have friends with a similar worldview to me because I remember talking to one friend and she was like, oh yeah, as a kid, she stopped eating Yorkie. And yeah, I thought this was like possibly a bit more widespread. But then I found some YouGov research from last year and I would like to share this YouGov 
research with you, Faye. Cool, so I found this. Yeah, so this is specifically people's opinion of the Yorkie milk chocolate bar. Yeah, this you go page. Um, hilariously, the photo they use is from the It's Not For Girls <laughs> campaign. And I wonder if Whoa. they use that in the survey because I'm like, ooh, that's a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's an old photo. But anyway, and overall, it had a 70% positive opinion. 70? 70%. 70% positive opinion. And we can then break this down by generation. So it's most popular with Generation X. And I wonder if this is because, like, it came out when they were young. So how much of you think of this as, like, an overhang from the original Yorkie Trucker? And something that they're just aware of versus the, the, the later campaigns? I'm sure that is definitely true. Like, just latent brand attribution. Generation X, it's 75% positive opinion. Baby Boomers, it's 71%. And then it dips down to 63% positive opinion for Millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can see how popular it is. So I guess based on these statistics. And it doesn't cover Gen Z. It doesn't cover Gen Z. Interesting. But yeah, so if you look at the popularity ranking among the different yes. groups, for Millennials, it's like the 87th most popular confectionery. For Generation X, it's the 21st most popular confectionery. Mm. And for mm. Baby Boomers, it's the 36th most popular. But yeah. Um, and then if you look at gender, 69% of women have a positive opinion versus mm. 72% of men. So it's still pretty high for women. There's a little bit of a difference, but I also wonder if that's just because women have better taste than men because your chemo chocolate isn't great. But like, so if we kind of just look at this YouGov data, it sort of seems like it didn't alienate all women. Sure, it's more popular with men than women according to this data, but it wasn't like a huge difference. So yeah, I don't think the brand has been irreparably damaged. I think it has turned off some people forever, but not everyone. I think the fact that it is kind of middling in this speaks volumes. Like, they haven't been advertising much for a while. They don't stand for an awful lot anymore. They probably still have some of that latent sort of awareness and, and remembrance that that you that has built up over time for some of these Gen Xers particularly. So I say the Yorkie bar is just kind of middling nowadays. I think what would be interesting is if this YouGov research extended to Gen Z, I'm sure they would know very little about Yorkie. It's no dairy milk. <laughs> but... I wanted us to end this episode and our whole saga on, like, a different note. Faye, can we have an advert which gets talked about without it being controversial or knowingly exclusionary or potentially offensive? Can we just have a nice advert that people talk about? Exactly. So through one of the interviews we conducted with someone who works in the chocolate industry at the time, all this discussion that you and I have been having in terms of Yorkie, was it good, was it not, wasn't the discussion that was being had in the chocolate companies at the time. Chocolate companies didn't see Yorkie as a big threat and saw it doing this boom and bust strategy where they'd come on for a few years, do their kind of storm in a teacup thing and then go again. The real chocolate advert that was talked about and was considered changing the game was the Cadbury Gorilla. So the Cadbury Gorilla advert, uh, for anyone who's not familiar, we will obviously link it, but it featured Phil Collins in the air tonight, a gorilla 
playing a set of drums and doing the drum fill. And everyone was like, sorry, what? And it was just a funny advert to watch because of all the color cues, etc. There was lots of purple in there. People knew it was Cadbury and it was overtly celebrating joy. So it was moving the chocolate advertising category away from sort of talking functional benefits or experience that was even directly linked to the chocolate, like it's really flaky or it's really creamy, glass and a half full, etc. And just talking about sheer unadulterated pleasure and how you represent that in an advert. And people talked about it. It went berserk. Not just consumers who loved it, regarded it as one of the best adverts that Cadbury had done, but retailers talked about it. Um, wanting to know what the next Cadbury Gorilla advert was going to be, why Mars, why Nestle weren't doing an advert that was as effective. So Mm. I think we can conclude that, yes, you can punch above your weight in advertising by getting people to talk about you, but you don't have to punch down or indeed punch on anyone. You can just... If you're going to hit something, make it a symbol. I think the thing with the Gorilla advert as well... um, it asked so many questions, it raised questions. And I think that's why it was so um, powerful. It was so irreverent, yeah. It was so irreverent, but also people were just being like, wait, why, what? Why is there a gorilla? Why is he playing the drums? Like, as you said, it wasn't really distinctly being like, hmm, and now he's having a chocolate bar. I think it was, it was a really bold, punchy move, elevating the category, like almost as if when you're Cadbury, you don't have to resort to being like, my chocolate burns better than yours. You just are. You just walk the talk. That is the opposite from a challenger brand mentality to a market leader. Sometimes you can just make really ballsy decisions like that that pay off. So um, a nice advert, which doesn't <laughs> belittle women. Yay. Yay. Well, that was a wild ride. <laughs> Um, a wild ride with a truck on a boat <laughs> to a concert with a gorilla uh thank you wonderful listeners for joining us again if you had fun with us please recommend this episode and the previous episode to your pals every time um someone plays this podcast Faye gets her wings <laughs> And give us a follow. Follow us on the social medias. Uh, Faye, what are the handles? The handles are at how they get you on Instagram and at how they get you underscore on Twitter. Please follow us for more fun branded content. And uh, yeah, like Laura said, please tell your friends. We've had such a great reaction so far. We're so pleased with all of you listening and can't believe that you're listening to us to go on about adverts for, for a few hours. But yeah, thank you so much. All right. Until next time consumers, listeners, friends, play us out, Gorilla. Play us out, Gorilla.